Hi everybody, this is Pastor Scott. I'm coming to you from my office here at home. I'm recording this on Saturday night because we had to cancel service. But I wanted to continue in our series, Knowing God, that we're doing, uh, that we have been doing this new year, 2015, January and February. And I, we just get to do it a little bit different. Um, I hope everyone's at home, uh, staying safe. You can have church in your jammies this morning and enjoy uh, you know, God's Word together. And we can pray and continue to seek Him. So today we're concluding in our series, Knowing God. And we just, by real quick overview, have talked about the different attributes of God and the fact that God wants us to know Him, not just know about Him. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. But he wants us to know who he is. And so we've seen from Scripture that God is hes all-knowing. And that means he knows everything about you and me. And that he's all-powerful. Whatever he wills to do, he will accomplish that. That God is ever-present. He's there in the, in the good times and the bad times. The stressful times and the, the times that are peaceful. And he's a God who doesn't change. And that's a good thing. You can't change perfection, but the fact that God doesn't change means He's promises, His word, His character is true and stays the same. And the fact is, too, that God is sovereign. He's in control when life even seems out of control. And we can hold on to that promise. So I've titled the message today, It's Your Move. Because really, in knowing God, He's, he's already done everything. He's already revealed himself through the person of Jesus. He's paved the way so that we can have a relationship with him. And he calls us to now seek him. As a matter of fact, it says in James chapter 4 verse 8, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It says in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 21, it's a little isolated uh, text of scripture there, a a little half a verse But God asks this question. He says, Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So he's looking. Who who is that person that will devote themselves to come close to me? Again, it's our move. The passage I want to kind of unpack over the next few minutes this morning is, tonight as I'm doing this is not the morning, but as this next text that I want to talk through is Jeremiah 29 And it's 11 through 13. It says this. God says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray and I will listen to you. and You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. To know God is to seek him. That's what he's saying there. And there's an invitation for us to come to him. The more, most important thing about knowing God is for us to actually come to him and, and move towards him and seek him. That's what I want to talk about this morning. God, God has revealed himself to, uh, to us through creation, through scripture, in our conscience, and ultimately in the person of Jesus. And he wants us to come to him. How do we do that? Well, in this passage that I read from Jeremiah, I would say the first thing that we need to do is when you seek God, how do we seek him? Seek him humbly. You come to God humbly. 
Verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He knows the plans he has for us. And the context of Jeremiah chapter 29 is Israel was going through some difficult times. They were going through some difficulties. They had been dispersed from their land into the, to the land of the Babylonians. And they were strangers in a, in a foreign land. And they were adapting to a whole different culture. And uh, so they were going through some difficulties. And God's wanting to encourage them. Even though you're being disciplined. Even though you're going through this difficulty. I still have plans for you. Here's a couple things I see about Humility in seeking God humbly. First of all, humility implies lordship. And the word lordship really just means who's calling the shots in your life? Who's calling the shots in my life? Who's the boss? Not the TV show, Who's the Boss? Um, That was thinking full house here, but anyway. Uh, Will I trust God with my life? Will I trust God with the purpose of my life? Will I seek him? And to know him is to seek him, but it's also to obey him. And so when God becomes the Lord of our life, when Jesus becomes the Lord of our life, we obey him. We believe he actually knows what's best for us. And I don't know what your you know current situation is today, but a lot of people are in some difficult decisions. Maybe you're being tempted to go your own way and to to not follow God or to not obey God. And listen, all of God's th- commands that he's given, they're there for our good. They're there for our benefit. They're there for our blessing. So today, I, I would just encourage you, if you're being tempted to go in the wrong direction, settle the lordship question today. Settle it right now. Here's what happens when we seek God humbly. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So it says that that God opposes the proud, those who want to live life on their own, life away from him and his ways. They become God's opponent. That's kind of a trip to think about. God doesn't lose any any matches. He doesn't lose any battles. He's a gazillion wins and zero losses when it comes to God. But it says that he'll give grace and favor and power to those who humble themselves under his hand. So seeking, seeking God humbly is totally freeing emotionally. It's freeing spiritually. I know that a lot of people listening to this have burdens that that they're carrying. There's fears, there's worries, there's there's guilt. Listen, humble yourself today. Humbly give your guilt over to God. That's what forgiveness is for. That's what Jesus came to die for was to to cleanse us from from our guilt. Put your trust in him. Turn away from whatever it was, the sin of the past and put your hope in him. Give your worries to the one who actually can can carry those burdens of, 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 of what you're worried about. The word worry comes from a German word, which literally means to choke. And so what happens is, is when we worry, worry begins to choke the life out of us. Fear magnifies everything. It, it creates anxiety. 
The word anxiety literally means to divide the mind, to have a divided mind. And if we're to be honest, most of the things that, that we're worried about usually have something to do with the future. And so in seeking God humbly and, and applying humility to our life, humility does this. Humility helps me recognize that I cannot control the future. I don't get, I, I'm not, I'm not in control of the future. God is. I, we, when we recognize today that we're not God, that he's in control and that we, we don't really control diddly. We, we respond to life. But, but we don't control it. Jesus said this, he said in Matthew 6, 27 and verse 34. Um, he says, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know why worry is a sin? Worry is a sin because it... It removes God from his rightful place of the sovereign one who's in control. When we're worrying, we're, we're not believing God is who he said he is or we're trying to, to be God. Worry is an attempt to, to control the future. And I need to tell myself this today. Man, I can't control the future. I can't control my health, really. I mean, we can diet and exercise and take vitamins, but we don't control the day of our death. We can't control people. We can't really control the stock market. Even ISIS and all this crazy stuff that's happening in the world. We're always going to live with, with a level of uncertainty in our life. So humility helps me recognize that I don't control the future, but it also, humility helps me recognize the one who does, and that's God. And When I seek him humbly, I can have that peace. Isaiah 30 15 says this this is what the sovereign lord the holy one of israel says in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength repentance he says in repentance and rest is your salvation so repentance is a change of mind it's a change of direction i was i was thinking in the wrong direction going in the wrong direction it's doing a 180 going in a different direction some of us today need to, to repent from our worry and repent from these fears that are just overwhelming us. Trust in God's character. Trust in his sovereignty. Trust in him to, to meet your needs. Trust in him to take care of tomorrow. I was, I was looking online and saw that, uh, you know, when it comes to our electronic devices that have Wi-Fi capability and things that printers and things that have Wi-Fi capability that the article was talking about how there's over $80 billion wasted because of a lack of uh, insufficient technology. People are wasting money. There's over 14 billion electronic devices in the world. And over $80 billion is wasted just because people don't have the proper technology or, or inefficient technology. Got me to thinking, how much emotional currency do we waste worrying about things that we shouldn't be worrying about, things that are outside of our control? And how much could we conserve if, if we let God be God? So we'll seek Him humbly. Second thing that we can do to, to move towards God is to seek Him devotionally. 
It says in, in verse 12 of Jeremiah 29, God says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and, and I'll listen to you. Again, it's our move. It's your move. He says, call to me, pray, seek. Seek him. People often will say things like, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife, a better mom, a better person. Whatever it is, you can fill in the blank there. Here's the deal. There's one relationship that dictates the quality of all other relationships. Whatever relationship you're thinking about. Um, and that's our relationship with God. Our our vertical relationship with Him dictates all my horizontal relationships with others. You could tell what kind of relationship I have with God by what kind of husband I am. You can tell what kind of relationship I have with God by what kind of father I am. How do I treat my parents? Um, you, I can tell what kind of relationship you have with God is how do you treat your your employer or your employees or whatever, your neighbors. So that relationship with God dictates all my other relationships. It also dictates how I'm going to handle adversity in life. And so to seek God devotionally um, leads me to what we're all looking for, and that's intimacy with God. We were created for intimacy with God. Every person was created to have an intimate relationship with God. We know that, that sin and the fall and, and selfishness blocks that relationship. That's why Jesus had to come and die and bridge that gap. But we can have that relationship with him and experience his presence. So to seek God devotionally, if you're wondering what does that mean, well, um, it, it means to, to devote myself to getting to know him better through prayer, through the scriptures, through the spiritual disciplines that we see that Jesus practiced. But what happens often with Christians is prayer and, and the Word, prayer and Bible study, uh, they are a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. Christians often make them the end in themselves, but it's, it's not. What I mean by that is sometimes when people commit themselves to seeking God in, in prayer and in the Word, uh, it becomes a duty rather than a delight. It becomes something they check off their, their daily list. But that's not the purpose of seeking God devotionally. And when you get this duty mentality, then there's this guilt feeling that comes over us. They feel people, we will feel guilty for not, you know, reading our Bible or praying or whatever it is. But I think God wants us to move away from feeling guilty to, man, I missed out when I didn't read the Word. I missed out when I didn't spend time in prayer with God. When I'm around the key people in my life, my wife, my family, you guys, <laughs> I love seeing you every Sunday. It's a bummer this week that I wasn't able to see you in person. But I miss them. You miss people when you're not around them. I think God wants that part of our relationship to be, to be that intimacy with him. That It's not a feeling of guilt or duty, but it's, man, I missed out. I want to spend some time with God. Here's what I want to say about that. Intimacy with God is not earned it's nurtured. It's not earned, it's nurtured. All good relationships. There's, there's three key ingredients to, to every good relationship. It takes time, it takes talking, and it takes trust. Time leads, spending time together leads to talking. Talking leads to intimacy. 
but then it also leads to trust. So the more time, the more talking, the more trust, the more quality of a relationship you have. That goes with our relationship with God as well. I uh, I got on the scale on New Year's Day, and I I didn't like what I saw uh, when I saw saw what the scale had to say. We all do that on New Year's Day, and then I happened to run across this article that was called the top 10 reasons you don't exercise it was pointing a finger at me (laughs) and here's the 10 reasons why we don't exercise the first one says this you don't enjoy it now i know some folks listening to this you actually do enjoy exercise and uh, maybe you're weird no i'm kidding you're not weird you've you've got those endorphins that you get from working out and it's become part of your life but most people don't in, don't enjoy exercise, physical exercise it's not a joy for them um, second reason is you've tried exercise but you keep quitting That's that happens to a lot of people you start for a little bit get over the soreness and all of that that comes with exercising and then find yourself quitting third reason people don't exercise is you don't have time you just can't find time in your schedule fourth reason Uh, People can't make a commitment to stick to an exercise routine. In other words, it it doesn't become a habit in their life. Number five, uh, you want to exercise, but you're just too busy. You got to take care of your family. You got to take care of your job, etc. The sixth reason is exercise hurts. It takes discipline and pain sometimes. Seventh reason, you can't seem to stay motivated to continue working out. That's true. You can't afford a gym membership. You're not seeing any changes in your body. Sometimes you, you work out or exercise and you don't lose the weight and you think, man, I might as well just camp out a village in and eat, eat my pies, right? <laughs> eat an extra pecan pie because what's, what's the point? And then lastly, the reason people don't exercise is they don't know how to exercise. They don't know how to do it right and appropriately. I think that's so true. Those 10 reasons are many reasons that people don't exercise spiritually through the spiritual disciplines of prayer and the word and fasting and, and so forth. And and people don't do that because, you know, we don't enjoy something that we, we don't feel like we're good at or we don't know how to do it. I know a lot of people, they, they, they have good intentions, especially at the beginning of the new year. You bought a one-year one Bible. And you get into February and maybe you get sick and you miss your readings for a few days and you think, ah, I'll just start again next year. You get to the book of Leviticus, <laughs> you get bogged down in all the different uh, things that God was telling them how to sacrifice this animal and you can't eat this and you can't do that. And it just bogs people down. It's hard to press through some of that. I have had two things that have really revolutionized my spiritual exercising, if you will. The first one is a book called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. And the Sacred Pathways is really um, that where, where and when do you feel closest to God? Where and when does somebody feel closest to God? That's that pathway. And there, he came up with nine different pathways that people uh, can feel closest to God. For example, my pathway is I usually feel closest to God 
when I am with other people talking about God, talking about the Word, or when I'm studying the Word and, and my mind is moved intellectually. I feel close to God there. That's not everybody's pathway. Some people get bored in those kind of things. Somebody else, another pathway is called an enthusiast. And he said that some, some people feel close to God when people are in enthusiastic worship services and maybe they're waving flags and they're hooting and hollering and getting excited about the Lord. And some people, that's, that's strange to them or they, they feel out of place in those kind of services. Somebody else might feel closest to God when they have their Bible and they're praying by a river in the mountains or you go on a hike. That's called a naturalist, and they feel closest to God outdoors. Somebody else feels closest to God when they're serving the homeless down at a, at a soup kitchen and then just doing acts of, of mercy and, and service towards somebody. Well, there's nine of those. When I discovered my pathway and it was okay, to get close to God that way, it was very liberating for me. And I, we're going to actually have a class, a Sunday morning class, um, coming up here in just a few weeks, actually, on the Sacred Pathways. want to encourage you to, to, to get in there and learn. And we have a test you can take and, and learn what your pathway is. The second thing that really helped me and revolutionized my spiritual exercising was setting a goal for why I seek God devotionally. Um, I need goals in life, when it, whether it's finances, exercise, whatever it is. I, I, goals seem, for, for me, and I think it's true for other people, to have a goal keeps me motivated. And to have a goal for my life, and for you to have a goal for your life, why do you pray? Why do you read the Word? What is your ultimate goal? We come up with a lot of very general things where we'll say, you know, I, just, you know, I want to be closer to God, or I want to be a better person or I want to, you know, I want to know him better. Those are all good things, but this goal that I'm talking about is more than just a general thing, but something that you could be specific about. I'll tell you what mine is. My goal in seeking God devotionally is that when my time comes and my life is over, I'm on my deathbed that I'm going to live a life of no regrets. That I'm not going to have a regret that I wish I would have served God more. I wish I would have served God with more of my heart. Or, and, and, or I wish I would have loved the people closest to me in, 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 in my life more. Spent more time with, with my family and those who were important to me. I want no regrets. So I know every time... I seek God in the Word and in prayer. It's so that I live my life to the fullest, that I'll spend my life on what matters most to Him. I would encourage you. Mine's no regrets, so don't steal that. No, I'm kidding. You can. You can take that if you want. But uh, what would be your goal? I heard one guy say that his goal would be that that uh, hell breaks underneath his feet everywhere he goes because he's learned how to walk in the power and authority of Jesus. I thought that was kind of cool, too. So intimacy with God's not earned, it's nurtured. Why are we seeking him? And then intimacy with God is nurtured through prayer. And that's a no-brainer, right? We seek God in prayer. We see how Jesus prayed and he modeled prayer for us and told us to pray. Prayer is not an option. Prayerlessness is a sin because prayerlessness keeps me from knowing and doing God's will. When I pray, when you pray, that's an act of humility before God. 
Because we're saying, God, we need you. And we're looking to him for answers. There's three different aspects to prayer. Real quick. There's petition, confession, and adoration. The petition part of prayer is where we, we lay our requests before God. And we're told to do that in Scripture. But what happens is most of us stay stuck in the request part of prayer where we just tell God what's on our mind, what's our needs, and so forth. And God wants us to actually move into a deeper level of prayer. The confession part of prayer is where we confess to God our shortcomings, but we confess to him who he is and who we are in Christ. It's more of a, a friend relationship at that point. And then you move into adoration. When your prayers are prayers of adoration to God, using the Psalms and you're heart, pouring out your heart before God, that's worship. And that's a love, intimacy relationship that God wants us to have. And so then intimacy with God is not only nurtured through prayer, but also through reading his word. When we pray, we're talking to him. When we read the word, God is speaking back to us. So he gave us these 66 books to learn about him, to seek him and to find him, and to know how he wants us to live. And then lastly, intimacy with God is nurtured through fasting. Fasting. And listen, fasting is not easy for anybody. Fasting is a difficult discipline. But fasting is really where you, you set aside a pleasure, such as eating food, to seek God. Many people are right now with the Lent season that just started, and people are giving certain things up for Lent. And that's a form of fasting and, and, and saying, God, I want to seek you. But when it comes to real practical fasting, if you were to, you know, if you've never fasted before, the reason is to seek God and to draw close to Him. So you could fast lunch. So you pick a day next week and, and you fast lunch, and instead of eating, you you pray and read the scriptures. And then when your stomach begins to growl around two in the afternoon because you didn't eat lunch, you say, God, as my stomach hungers for food, my soul hungers for you. And you'll see how God will meet you as you seek Him in those simple disciplines of fasting. There's other things. Sometimes people can't fast because of dietary reasons or health reasons. But we could all fast from TV for a season, fast from the media, fast from Facebook, whatever it is, something that you give a lot of your time to. And uh, can you imagine if people actually, instead of watching TV, actually related to each other and talked and we spend time in prayer? It'd be awesome. So, so we seek God devotionally as well. So we seek Him humbly, seek Him devotionally. Last point I want to give you is this. You seek God wholeheartedly. Take a drink of my water there. We seek him wholeheartedly. He says in verse 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart, wholeheartedly. What does it mean to seek God wholeheartedly? What does it mean to be a wholehearted person for the Lord? Well, I would say this. I'm going to give you two characteristics of seeking God wholeheartedly. The first one is this. Take him at his word. A person who seeks God wholeheartedly takes him at his word. It's when God promises something, we, we believe him. It honors him when I believe what he's promised. Uh, it it, it uh, 
honors him when I obey what he's asked me to do. Think about you dads out there. Let's say you tell your son, hey, on Friday, you say, I'm going to take you fishing on Monday. So he Friday night says, Dad, are we still going fishing on Monday? Yeah, son, we're going fishing Monday. Saturday morning, Dad, are you sure we're going fishing? You promise? Do you promise we're going to go fishing? And all weekend long, he bugs you until you actually take him on Monday. Um, it's like, hey, dude, take me at my word. I'm going to take you fishing. <laughs> and the same thing applies with God. We, we take him at his word when he's promised something for us that we don't let circumstances and our feelings rob us from believing and taking him at his word. I'll give you a little case study from, from the Old Testament, a guy named Caleb. In, in the book of Exodus, well, actually through from Genesis to Exodus and, and Numbers, we see the, the children of Israel moving towards the promised land to the land that God had promised and the land that God had promised Abraham way back in Genesis. And in Exodus, God promises Moses that he will give him the land and take, take him through. They're going to leave Egypt as slaves and go into the promised land. And so after they, they leave Egypt and they're, they're on their journey in the desert towards the promised land, we get to Numbers chapter 13 and Moses sends out 10 spies Caleb is one of them, to go into the promised land to find out, is this really a land filled with milk and honey? Is this really a land that's going to be fruitful and a great place for us to live? So they send them in there, and uh, when they go in there, they, they find the land of milk and honey, and they even bring back, back a cluster of fruit to show Moses and so forth. And while they're in there, they also saw giants. There were giants in the land. And uh, they get back in... They tell all the good stuff about what's in the land, but they also tell Moses about the giants, and they're afraid. And Caleb, he stands up and t- silences the people in Numbers thirteen thirty before Moses. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. And all the other spies were, were acting like wusses. They, they, they were afraid to go in there. What caused Caleb to have that kind of faith, to have such a strong faith? Well, Caleb knew God's promises. He knew the promise that was passed down from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on about going in into the promised land and possessing the land. And so it, 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 it says in Numbers 14.24, God says this about Caleb. It says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So he, to follow God wholeheartedly was to take him at his word. Wholeheartedly is believing what God has promised and literally staking your life on what God has promised. You know what I was thinking about this in this message? Caleb realized it was his move. God had already shown miracles and and done everything to show him that they could take the promised land. Caleb said, hey, it's my move now, and I'm moving towards God. It goes on to say in Joshua 14 that Hebron, a part of the promised land, was given to Caleb, again, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He entered and possessed the promised land. I want to ask you, where are you struggling to take God at his word? Where are you struggling to either obey him or to believe his promises? He wants us 
to follow him wholeheartedly. The second part of, of, of following God, seeking God wholeheartedly, is then I need to learn to, to rest in him, to rest in him. For us, possessing the promised land, it, it's, it's not possessing a literal land, but it's by faith learning to rest in the promises of Jesus. And it's our promised land is in eternity with him. We get a taste of that, this side of heaven, but we're like the children of Israel on our journey to get to the promised land. When Jesus comes back and takes us all to be with him or we die and go to be with him, that's when we head into the promised land. But until then, we're journeying. And Israel's journey was a type and shadow for us as well. But it says in, in 2 Corinthians one twenty, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So we need to take, say amen to God's promises and rest in him. Hebrews 4.3 For only we who believe can enter his place of rest. Here's what I think about that. Seeking leads to finding. Finding leads to faith. When we seek God and we find him, that leads to a faith that causes us to rest in him. And so we seek him humbly, we seek him devotionally, and we seek him wholeheartedly. I want to tell you, it's your move. It's your move. Will you move towards God? Let's together, as a, as a church family, as individuals and corporately, let's move closer to God. I want to be closer to God. I don't want some distant relationship between me and God. I want to be closer to Him. And when there's a, when I don't feel close to God or He seems far away, He hasn't gone anywhere. It's me. It's me in my heart. So let's move towards Him. Let's let's take the truths about who He is, all that we've learned in this series on knowing God, being all powerful, all knowing sovereign, never-changing God. Let's let him define us. Let's let him define the purpose for our life. And if you've gotten off track a little bit in your walk, man, jump back in. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Jesus. You're going in the wrong direction, head back towards him. Maybe you've gotten off track a little bit devotionally where you're not reading the Bible like you should or spending time in the Word like you should. Maybe maybe it's just in prayer and just seeking intimacy with God. Whatever it is, would you make that decision today and make a declaration of faith that you're going you're gonna to seek God? You're going to say, God, I believe you've opened the door for me to come and find you. Now I'm going to seek you. Let's pray and uh, conclude this. I pray that you have a, a wonderful uh, snow day. I wish we could see each other in person, but uh, pray that you and your family and loved ones are safe today. So let's seek God together. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you for your word that has revealed who you are. God, I thank you that you're not some statue made of wood or stone, but you're the living God, the real God. God, you've revealed yourself in, in the Old Testament in various ways, but you ultimately revealed yourself in Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus, we honor you. We want to honor you with our lives. Draw us close to you today. 
We seek you. We look to you. Fill us fresh and new with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us fresh and new with your truth. God, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, to love one another, to be salt and light in this world around us, Father. So we seek you today, God. Thank you for what we've learned. Bless everybody listening to this with your peace and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to start a a series on leadership. Leadership is, it's going to be a great series to look at how how did Jesus lead and how the fact is all of us have a someone that's following us, whether you're a parent, grandparent, you're in the workplace, home, wherever it is, someone's following you. And, and we're going we're gonna to get better at being leaders. So God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.